they did one of two things. They they haven't looked at compliance um, because most of the nonprofits aren't actually regulated due to, due to their 5013C. They're not required to have compliance standards, though they need to. And a lot of them will also try to do IT work in-house, which could be someone that isn't necessarily equipped to do IT, but maybe the best case scenario, right? The most tech savvy in the building, which maybe isn't that tech savvy. Um, or they work with, with another managed service provider that is um, not as comprehensive. They don't have a security focus. Maybe they're more cost effective. Welcome to Our Promise Project. We help you keep your promises. Join us each week as we meet with nonprofit organization leaders, team members, and volunteers who believe in keeping their promises to those they serve. We're all about the feel-goods, warm fuzzies, and mission-driven individuals who make these organizations so successful. Looking to start a nonprofit? You'll learn how to start one, what it takes to be successful, and how to keep it thriving. We know it takes a community of organizations, business owners, and individuals to help nonprofits succeed. Don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast as we'll be giving out brand new episodes each week. Our Promise Project, where we help you keep your promises. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome to Promise Project. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking to Tara Anderson from Nexus IT Consultants. Tara, how are you doing? I have had 17 cups of coffee and I've had miniature croissants, so I couldn't be better. That is awesome because we're all pretty much there. I, I think, and I don't drink coffee, but I am probably on cup three now. So let's go. We are a party, you guys. We, <laughs> we are where the party's at. So today we are at the Stein Erickson Lodge for the premier event of Promise Project, where we're essentially talking to nonprofit organizations or people who work with nonprofits about some of the challenges facing nonprofits today. And I know one of the biggest things that people deal with is IT and IT security. And I know that that's where your company comes in. Absolutely. Um, we love working with our nonprofits. Uh, I don't want to say more than any of our other businesses, because that wouldn't be very nice, but... We have a very, very soft spot in our heart for our nonprofit clients. And the biggest reason is they're, they're dealing with a, a lot. They're typically budget constrained. Uh, they're minimally resourced. So small amount of people doing a lot of different things. And um, what, what's top of mind for them uh, typically is, is also IT and technology and bridging some of the gaps. Many of the nonprofits we work with do, of course, amazing work, but they rely on Donations. <laughs> they they did not. They rely on donations. They rely on volunteer help, and all those gaps are bridged by technology. Yeah, you're you're so right, and especially with the donations and everything else. What are and I I really think that IT is one of those things that nonprofits tend to look past because they're all just about whatever the mission statement is and. Donations. So what are some of the like the biggest issues if I was having a nonprofit that I would be looking to you to help me with? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, staying online and minimizing downtime is absolutely critical for many of these nonprofits for many different reasons. I mean, at the core of it, it's fundraising, but operationally, they just rely on their infrastructure to stay in place. They can't afford the downtime. But another actually uh, major component is data security and compliance. So we do work with um, a foundation, a nonprofit, 
that runs about 30 to $60 million a year through their nonprofit. Wow. Though they don't draw uh, many wages from that, and, and they don't actually earn any money, um, but they do raise that amount. So if you can imagine the types of organizations and individuals that are donating to this foundation, the type of information that needs to be safeguarded by them. So it, they often collect social security numbers, they collect trust paperwork, they collect tax IDs, EIN. They also collect, obviously, the numerical amount, the fiscal amount that they're donating. So all these things need to be safeguarded, but yet um, very few of them have the resources to, to pay for a very comprehensive com compliance program. So that's where we come in um, and provide a lot of guidance that way, how to protect data, but also uh, how to do it in a cost-effective way. And so that's really a main focus of our work with nonprofits right now. Wow, there was just so much. There's so much to unpack there <laughs> between the coffee and the, like just all of that information. Let me ask you this question: Do you have, and I'm sure you you've got these as an IT company? Are there horror stories that you have of companies that didn't take this aspect of their business seriously, and how that like kind of bit them? Yes, um, you know we get clients in in that in that shape actually more often than not. That's how we end up working with them because they they did one of two things they they haven't looked at compliance um, because most of the nonprofits aren't actually regulated due to due to their five hundred one three C they're not required to have compliance standards though they need to. And a lot of them will also try to do IT work in-house, which could be someone that isn't necessarily equipped to do IT, but maybe the best case scenario, right? The most tech savvy in the building, which maybe isn't that tech savvy. Um, or they work with, with another managed service provider that is um, not as comprehensive. They don't have a security focus. Maybe they're more cost effective. And, and there are a lot of those in the Valley, for sure, that, that really do have a lower hourly rate that employ some entry-level engineers and um, don't deploy the resources that these nonprofits need, mostly because they're not receiving the hourly income to do so. So we get a lot of clients in, in pretty rough shape post-breach or in the middle of a breach. Um, and so what typically happens uh, when, when even a nonprofit gets breached, people don't want to donate to them anymore. So it's very expensive and... and cost prohibitive because they get breached and they're typically in a contract with another managed service provider for a number of years, but then they also have to hire us to help with the breach remediation and make them whole again. There's a lot of reputation and brand damage that really is hard to quantify. Yeah. And then the amount of loss, it varies, but um, typically in these situations, there's ransomware deployed where they, they have to try to negotiate with a criminal to get back their data. Pay, pay with Bitcoin. These scenarios are really crazy, but it happens. It's financially devastating. It affects their brand, their reputation. It tends to impact the amount of donations that they get in the future. And there's just a lot of like, kind of like a scarlet letter that's kind of placed on them for a period of time that's really impactful. Um, and it's devastating to many of these organizations. You brought up a great point, and this is something that I think a lot of people out there don't think about is you're right. After a breach, there is this kind of, as you put it, the scarlet letter on a company. Just as a rough estimate and, and based on what you've seen in your organization, how long does it take for a company and an organization to recover from something like that? You know, it, it is really hard to quantify, and, and I've, I've done my best to figure it out, and it varies by the organization, um, but a case in point would be the SolarWinds breach. Um, SolarWinds breach is actually actually more in the attack category. Uh, it went undetected for about nine, ten months. Um, wow. And, and now, 
Uh, so, well, let me go back a little bit. SolarWinds is actually a cybersecurity company. Okay. And they have a software that is used to manage the health of a, of a security network, right? So if I were an organization, I would buy SolarWinds to get a glance of the health of my devices that are on my network. So even the temperature, how well they're running, the battery life, if there's any compromise out there. So when, when you install a SolarWinds product like Orion that had this ransom, well, not really ransomware in it, this, this bad code in it, for lack of better words, um, you're trusting that source. Okay, so the, the essential risk to the brand is really hard to quantify. I mean, it really has to take a lot of figures into account, like what, what amount of business they could have done, you know, what was potential, um, if it's a nonprofit, how much money could they have raised? So it's really hypothetical, but um, most say that the, that the damage to reputation is, is devastating to businesses. And if you look at the case of SolarWinds, SolarWinds was a product that was designed to keep organizations, both in the public and private sector, safe. Uh, the main core of their Orion product that this uh, Trojan horse was deployed on was actually uh, a product that would help monitor the, the security and the safety and the basic like overall health of a network. So uh, what happened in that case is you would see that your uh, SolarWinds or Orion needed to be updated. So any person that cares about cybersecurity and safety will go ahead and run the update like any of us would to protect ourselves and our organizations. And that's how this actual uh, cyber attack was deployed. Um, was by these updates. Um, so speaking to the damage of reputation with breaches, you know, financially, the average in 2020 was almost $4 billion. Wow. But reputationally, I would challenge anyone here listening to search SolarWinds and not find an article just related to the breach. So actually try to find an article that draws you to the company as a company or their product it's really hard to do because you'll go through pages and pages and pages about their breach and the attack. And that's about it. Wow. That's, that's a lot. So kind of as a a wrapping up thought, what are some ideas and, and things that a company should do and a nonprofit should do to, to prevent having, not necessarily having to hire you, but to prevent from having to hire you because we are now in an emergency situation. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a great question. And we try to help uh, the people in our network as much as we can to not necessarily hire us on the cyber remediation side and not in the breach spot. Um, we consult often just to how to mitigate risk and things that you can do best practices without having to make a significant investment. So here I am today. I'm working at Stein Erickson Lodge with you, which is lovely, <laughs> by the way. But we are in a, a concentrated space with a lot of different people. Uh, and I, I do have my work laptop here, but I'm connecting to that, to that through our VPN. So I do have a VPN in place that protects me if I were to access sensitive data here from a cyber criminal, essentially inside these walls that's you know, looking and trying to capture data as I, as I load it and talk to my network. Another thing that I have deployed in my system right now that I've used already today is two-factor authentication. And, and basically what that allows uh, would be uh, a multi-step process to authenticating that I am who I say that I am and I have the access that, that I'm, you know, that I'm privileged to. So when I go to log into certain uh, software on my system, I'm prompted to then go to my uh, 2FA or my MFA that's on my phone. It's just, you know, on my phone, which is in my hip pocket, right? And then I load up a code and I, I, you know, cross-reference that code with my system. 
So a VPN, you know, in concentrated spaces like airports, coffee shops, a lot of us are working remotely. Right. We're working at, a, yeah, you know, all these different types of spaces, condominiums, even apartments where you're near other people, shared work environments, uh, collaborative spaces. The VPN, get that multi-factor authentic, authenticator going on your phone, your MFA, uh, your 2FA. Get some endpoint protection installed. We, we recommend you know, the, the business, the inter, enterprise versions, not just what you install from Best Buy, you know, to make sure that you're, you're safe and secure that way. There's a lot of other things that we could talk about. A written incident security plan or protocol is called a WISP. So basically what that does is it's a plan to put in place should you be breached, you know, who, who you call first, the steps that you take the steps you take in an organization to prevent being breached and doing more due diligence to protect consumer data. So those are some simple things to do. So again, get a, a response plan in place, VPNs, the two MFAs or 2FAs, um, and that's an endpoint protection. And that's a very, very good start. That sounds fantastic. So how can somebody get in touch with your organization and with you? Well, you stand near the coffee pot yes. in Park City. Uh, that's a pretty good start. Uh, you could go to nexusitc.net. So that's uh, N-E-X-U-S-I-T-C. That's a mouthful. It stands for nexusitconsultants.net. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn as well. I'm really active on there. Tara Anderson, Nexus IT. Love to connect and, and just chat security, chat compliance, chat IT. All the dorky things. Those aren't dorky. Those are the things that you desperately need. And when they fall apart, they're the ones that you shell out the most money for. So no. No, absolutely. We can talk shop all day. Absolutely. I think we should do it. Yes. Well, Tara, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time out. Thank you so much for participating in the Promise Project inaugural event. You're welcome. It's been my pleasure. It's been a great event so far. And we're going to be here all day until five and then into casino night well into the evening. So I'm really looking forward to it. Fantastic. We'll have Nexus IT Consulting in the show notes, as well as the link to Tara's LinkedIn account as well. We look forward to seeing you guys next episode. Thanks so much for listening to the Our Promise Project podcast. You can find more about Our Promise Project by visiting our website, ourpromiseproject.com. Again, that's ourpromiseproject.com. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Clubhouse. And tune in next week for a brand new episode of Our Promise Project. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Our Promise Project was produced by Simply Podcasting. For all your podcasting needs, visit simplypodcasting.io. Tune in next week to a brand new episode of Our Promise Project. We'll see you then.